Hello, church. My name is HJ, and we'll be reading today's passage in the scriptures from John 20, verse 30 to 31. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen behind me. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the reading of God's word. All right. Well, <clears throat> as I get older, um, one of the existential questions that I find myself confronting is, is the question of purpose. Uh, what is the purpose of my life? And what is the purpose of my life, especially as a Christian? And I think this is a, a question that whether you are a believer, whether you are searching, or whether you are someone who would not consider yourself a believer, um, this is a very important question that we find ourselves asking all the time, right? And one of the best-selling books, uh, Christian books, is a book called uh, Purpose Driven Life because we are all searching for meaning. Uh, we are uh, searching for uh, a greater cause or a greater reason for actually living. And I think there's a, a reason why we all go through a, a time of angst and a time of questioning, like, what am I doing with my life? You know, what is, what is the reason why I do the things that I do? Why do I have to wake up early and go to work and, you know, make money for this company? I mean, what, what, is, what is the purpose of it? And I think it's funny how um, as time changes and our life stage, uh, life stage changes, that the answer to this question can, uh, you know, change. Uh, when I was a young, young boy, the purpose of life was to play video games and to have a lot of fun, Right. Uh, when I was growing up in, in high school and college, it was to get good grades or, or uh, you know, achieve some sort of success so that I can set myself up for a good career. And for many of us uh, that are in that stage of career, it's about like, well, how can I move up in the ladder? How can I become um, more, you know, incorporated into, into business? How can I succeed in, in entrepreneurship um, as we get, you know, or you might be at a stage of life where you're searching for a, a partner. You know, where can I find a husband or a wife, you know, and, and we think about those kind of purposes. And yet children, then the purpose changes once again, right? And, and all those times, I think it's very important for us to kind of understand that without purpose, um, there's a lot of holes to why we do the things that we do and, and why certain things happen the way it does. And the reason why I bring this idea of purpose is because when we look at the Gospel of John, um, John, I, I love the way he writes because he writes in a very simple way. Uh, in this verse that we, in this passage that we read in John chapter 20, it's really the conclusion, and, and he kind of very plainly outlines the purpose and, and reason why he wrote this book. Uh, he, he tells us that the purpose was so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you may have eternal life. And so as we start this new sermon series through the Gospel of John, one of the things that I really want us to kind of think about is, well, what does it actually mean when John says that he wrote this, uh, this book so that we may know that Jesus is the Christ and that we will have eternal life and that we'll have life in his name. And I think for us, when we think about the idea of purpose and we think about the, the idea of what does it mean for us to follow the purpose that God has for us, it's going to be um, an important question to think about, an important question to ask. So today what we're doing is not, I'm not going to be, you know, answering that existential question for you guys. Um, you know, I wish I wrote the book Purpose Driven Life. Not because of the content. Well, the content's okay. But because of what follows. Um, I don't know what, what I meant by that. Anyways. <laughs> I sounded really greedy and money hungry there. Anyways, okay. 
So today, as we introduce the book of John um, in our new sermon series, what we're going to do is really kind of see this sermon as an introduction to the entire book of John. And we're going to see this sermon as an introduction to our entire sermon series. So we're going to answer some questions. We're going to answer the question of uh, why was the book of John written? Um, second, we're going to ask, well, then what are the two purposes that John lays out for us in uh, chapter 20, verse 30 through 31? So the first, first point or the first question, why was this book written, is, is this, that it is uh, written to fulfill God's agenda. It's, it's, it's written to fulfill God's purpose and not ours. Now, one of the things that, um, you know, uh, I, I watched an interview with uh, Ricky Gervais and uh, Stephen Colbert a, a few years back, and I rewatched it recently. And if you guys don't know who uh, Stephen Colbert or Ricky Gervais is, they're two comedians. Um, I find them both extremely funny. Um, Ricky Gervais is more of an acquired taste, and, you know, it's kind of, if you don't know who he is, he is the creator of The Office. Uh, he's one of the creators of The Office. He's a British comedian, uh, but he's also a very outspoken atheist. Uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, on the other hand, is a, also another funny man, uh, but he is a, a very devout Catholic. Uh, and, and he's been very outward about his faith. He's, he's, he's very, uh, you know, outward about, uh, you know, what he believes about Jesus Christ. And oftentimes, um, you know, when he speaks to, uh, you know, other celebrities, uh, he'll talk to them about religion and what he believes about God. And in this specific instance, um, he goes right into it with Ricky Gervais, and he's, you know, basically says, like, you know, when you die, you're going to go to hell, you know, in a very joking, funny way. And they start having a, a, a debate or start having a conversation about uh, what Stephen Colbert um, believes about, um, uh, about Jesus and the Bible and what Ricky Gervais believes. And in that interview, uh, Ricky Gervais, he said this. He said, if we took any work of fiction or any holy book and destroyed it, in a thousand years' time, that wouldn't come back just as it was uh, wherever it, uh, wherever if we took, sorry, in a thousand years' time, that wouldn't come back just as it was. Whereas if we took every science book and every fact and destroyed them all, in a thousand years, it would all come back because it would prove itself. Now, there's a couple things I want to respond to in this statement. Number one, the idea that um, every scientific theory or fact would come back is based on faith and a belief system. Right? Uh, one has to have faith in the system that the, the science was conducted in a way where it had no purpose or no, had no agenda, right? And also for you to believe in this, you have to have faith in the one who conducted the experiments or who conducted um, the, uh, the study. So, it, you know, Stephen Colbert is like, like you, you're placing faith. You don't know this. You're placing faith in Steve, uh, Steve Hawkins, you know? Like, so there's this idea that um, science is something that is faithless, that it is just purely facts, is something that we have to really question. Um, it, there is going to be, uh, the, the reality is that even science is under some sort of presupposed belief system based on which camp or what theory or, or what education you had. Second, Ricky Gervais makes a statement that all holy books would not come back just as, as it is written because it presupposes that the authors that wrote these books acted upon their own self-interest or they acted upon a, a specific purpose or agenda that they wanted to move forward. Now, in both instances, whether it's a scientific book or whether it's a religious book, I think what Ricky Gervais says is true, that there is the idea that there's humans behind the, these, the authors who are pushing forward perhaps their own agenda or, or, or their own conclusion. 
And even when we look at the Bible, we have to understand and acknowledge the fact that there are humans or there were institutions or there is the church who have weaponized these writings for the purpose of pushing forward their thoughts and their agenda and their purposes. But when we go and kind of look deeper into the very genesis or the very beginning of, of who wrote this book and why they wrote the book, it, it does require for some, for some of us some faith, but faith based on evidence that this book, the Bible, was not written to push forward any type of human agenda, but it was written to push forward the purpose of God and the agenda that God had, which ultimately John reveals is so that we may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will have life in his name. Now, for those that may not believe or for those that may question, we might have a very, um, I think, legitimate questions like, are you sure that's, that's what John did? Didn't John write in a way where, like, it's for his own purpose? And So let's look at that. If John was writing in a way uh, to push forward his own agenda or his own purpose, number one, he would name himself a lot more in the book. He never names himself in the Gospel of John. Uh, and I think that's very, there's a specific reason for that. He himself wrote, I must decrease and he must increase. Not only does he not um, write his name or name himself in the book, right away in verse 30, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Now, I always think about this portion of, of, of what John wrote, and I go, why not? Why didn't you write it in the book? We all want to know. Like, you know, there's so many questions that I have, right? Like, uh, one of the commentators, Jim, uh, James Boyce, he writes, like, I want to know what happened to Nicodemus. So if you guys don't know Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, is the man, religious man who comes to Jesus in John chapter 3. And, John, uh, and Jesus says to him, you must be born again. We never find out if he actually believes or if he just goes away and becomes someone who doesn't believe. We don't know. I want to know what happened to Nicodemus. There's so many other questions that I have about, you know, like, like who built the pyramids? Like, Maybe Jesus told the disciples who built the pyramids. He was like, yeah, the Egyptians did. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Like, there's so many other questions that I might have. Like, you know, why, you know, like, what happened before the flood? How, were there giants? There people, why did people live to, like, thousands of years? You know, like, you guys are probably looking at me like I'm some weird conspiracy theorist. But those are, like, real questions that I have. And, like, maybe John knew some of the answers to those questions. Like, who killed? No, actually, John F. Kennedy didn't die then. Um, but, you know, those are all these questions. And, and, but he purposely says he did not write it in the book. Now, the reason why I bring this up is this. For a person who has his own agenda, who desires to make a name for himself, who desires to elevate himself in the eyes of the world, he would have written everything down. It would not have been the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John, but it would have been the memoirs of John, the, the disciple of Jesus. Right? There, there is uh, um, an idea that we legitimize people or validate people who were present when events occurred. Right? Uh, Brian Williams, who was a news anchor a few years back, there was a controversy because he claimed that he was on the battlefield in Iraq kind of uh, being heavily fired upon. Uh, and people were like, oh, that's a crazy story. Later, it was found out that he wasn't actually there, and it totally debunked uh, all of his credibility. 
There's a reason why former players and former athletes are oftentimes analysts uh, of a sports game because of the fact that their uh, being present on the field or on the court legitimizes some of the opinions and thoughts that they have. John, being in the very presence of Jesus Christ, being in the inner three in the discipleship and the disciple group, um, had the legitimacy to be able to write down everything and to elevate him in his position to someone famous, to someone with clout, to someone with a following. If, if John was around um, in our time now, he'd be an a, a Instagram pastor with thousands of followers, right? He would have very curated posts. He would probably have like a specific hashtag, you know, like hashtag John the, gospel, uh, John the Disciple. He would have his own merchandise. You know, I mean, this kind of like how we would assume someone who's pushing forward their own agenda and own purpose would behave. But John does not do so. He purposely leaves the things out that the Spirit of God did not guide him to write. Because the one who was driving forward the authorship, driving forward the purpose of this book, was not John, but was God himself. And now this is something that... Um, Theologians will call divine inspiration, uh, and without getting too technical, basically, uh, we believe as Christians that the books uh, of the Bible were written through divine inspiration, that it was that humans were used to be the authors, that their personality, their writing style, their recollection was all part of the writing, but that they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to be able to make sure that the things that they wrote down were correct recollections, that the things that they wrote down were things that were driven by the purpose of God and his agenda, not their own agenda, that there was no real um, a selfish motivation behind what they wrote, but that this was all re revelations of God's word himself. And so this is the very basis and foundation and the, the lens in which we must read the gospel of John that is founded upon not the purposes of a human being, is not founded upon a, a propaganda to push forward an agenda made up by these disciples, but that it is the revelation of the truth of God's word with a purpose so that we who read it may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in this message that we will have life in his name. And that leads us to our second point. Well, the second point is the first purpose. The, the, the first purpose of the Gospel of John is that we, the readers, would believe and have faith that Jesus is the Christ. Now, um, oftentimes we kind of assume uh, that we have uh, these theological terms and we understand those theological terms. Uh, but, you know, maybe there's some of us, um, rightfully so, who think that Christ is Jesus' last name. Right? Uh, Jesus Christ is not his last name. Um, Christ is the Greek form of the Messiah. Uh, and, and the word Messiah literally means the anointed one. Uh, and so when, we, when John writes that he wrote these things so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, what he's saying is we, he wrote this book so that we believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the promised one. Now, this theme of waiting for an anointed person or waiting for the promised Savior is something that uh, is, is all over our, our media and books and movies. And it all comes from the story of the gospel. Right? There's, it originates from the, from the Bible, this idea of waiting for the anointed one. 
And it starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Um, real quickly, Genesis, Adam and Eve is created. They disobey God. God curses Adam. God curses Eve. God curses the serpent. And in that curse, in John, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says this. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. That is, you know, what theologians call the proto-evangelion or the proto-gospel. The very first time that there's an announcement that there will be an anointed one, a child from the seed of the woman who will come and crush the head of the serpent. And ever since that moment, the people of God have been waiting for this anointed one, the Savior who will come to save the world and save humanity. How many movies and books have that same theme? Right? Harry Potter. Um, Star Wars, The Matrix. I mean, these are all stories that are talking about the promised anointed person who will come and put to order everything that was disordered. And what John is saying is all the things that he has written down in this book, every testimony of Jesus' encounters, every sign and miracle that Jesus performed, every... Uh, uh, saying that Jesus spoke with his mouth and the very act of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, that all these things are written down to point to the reality that Jesus is the anointed Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the Son of God. And throughout the Old Testament, um, the anointed Messiah was basically described in three categories. That he would be the prophet of all prophets, the priest of all priests, and the king of all kings. Uh, and, and throughout the book of John, we're going to see that. That Jesus is, is the prophet of all prophets. Prophet greater than Moses. That he is the light of the world coming to speak the word of God. That he is the word of God. Word made flesh. That he is the priest of all priests. He's the great high priest. The one who become the ultimate mediator between God and humanity. And that not only is he the priest that mediates between us, but that he would also become the sacrifice. A, a, a lamb led to the slaughter. And that he would be ultimately the king of kings. The, ones who, the one who sits upon the throne. The one who will rule and govern all creation. And so John's saying... All these things I have written so that you may believe that he is the anointed one. So not only must we believe in the Messiahship of Jesus, uh, all these things are written so that we may believe that we have eternal life. So he ends this passage and he says, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That you may have life in his name. And, and when it says that by believing... Uh, there's kind of there's two ways to interpret that. Uh, scholars are kind of um, they kind of go back and forth depending, uh, you know, uh, on the, the the tense of the phrase by believing. Some place it as a present tense. Some place it as a, a present active tense. Some place it as an aorist or past past tense. Uh, so if it's the past tense, um, they interpret it saying like uh, you must bring people to belief in Jesus so that they may have eternal life. So that by believing, you will have eternal life. Uh, if it's in the present active tense, they say, no, it's a continual believing. So it's not talking about evangelism and bringing people into belief in Christ. But it's about talking about Christians that they will continually believe 
in Christ, that they will continually get a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Now, there's no real correct conclusion to which interpretation is correct, um, but so I'll give you my non-professional, non-expert opinion. Okay? Uh, both are true. They're both theologically true, and they both uh, are, are, are great things for us to believe in. That yes, the, by believing that Jesus is a Christ, we do enter into salvation. We do enter into this new life given to us. But it's also very important for us to understand that we as Christians are people that continually believe in who Jesus is and what he has done for the sake of understanding what eternal life actually is. I think oftentimes we operate or we um, kind of live in this belief system that Believing in Jesus will get, get us entrance into salvation, which is true. And then we kind of stop right there. We see that belief or acknowledgement of Jesus as the anointed Messiah is our, is our golden ticket to heaven. And once we get it, we put it in our wallet or our purse and we keep it there. And then we wait until the day we die and then we're like, haha, I have a ticket. Let me, let me in. Now let me really start living my life. Right? And, and I think there's oftentimes this idea that we just need to get through our life here on earth. And then once God calls us home or, you know, or Jesus returns, then we can start living our eternal life. Then, you know, that's where real life begins. You know, um, and, and, and we don't even think about that. It's not just something about religion that we think in that way. We think in that way in a lot of aspects of our life. Right? How many of us thought, like, once I get my driver's license then my life is really going to begin, right? Or once I graduate high school, then my life really starts. Or, hey, once I get my job, then my life really begins. You know, we, we always have this idea of once something happens, then my life finally begins. And then when we live in that way, we miss out on life. We miss out on life because we're always looking forward to something in the future. But when, when John says that by believing you may have life in his name, we must understand that our eternal life begins at the moment we repent of our old life and place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. That our life here on earth as a believer is not just a, uh, uh, you know, a, a kind of like a, a holding zone until we make it into our eternal life in heaven, but that it is the very beginning of the life that Jesus gives us. To live our lives for his kingdom and, for, and his glory and not for this world. The unfortunate reality is that many of us, all of us, myself included, that we live our lives not very distinguished from lives of people who may not believe in Jesus Christ. That, that, that the things that we strive after, the things that we place our hopes in, the things that we place a lot of our priorities and efforts in are the very things that people who don't even acknowledge the existence of Jesus will do. In this way, we basically live under the prescription of what the world says a good life is with a hope or an expectation that once we go to heaven, then, then we'll start living our eternal life. But that's not what John is talking about. He's saying by believing in everything that Jesus has done, your life begins now. And the life that God has given us, he calls us to live in such a way that we bring glory upon and, and please him. Not just live in such a way where we blend in with the world. 
And I think with that, it would be important for us to have that as the foundation of our sermon series moving forward. That the life that we are given through Christ is, begins now. It begins at this very moment, even on this earth. That the life we are, are, are to live is not for the purpose of achieving our own success and moving forward our own agenda. It's not so that we, we live according to the prescriptions of this world, but that we live <clears throat> vastly different and according to what God prescribes in a way that pleases and brings glory to him. So as we end, I just want to have a few points of reflection for us. You know, just take a few moments to, to think and reflect and respond to the word of God today. How has your life changed since you have become a Christian? How has your life changed once you believe that Jesus is the anointed one? Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Maybe, and I'm not talking about like, oh, it's changing slowly. Like, that's good. But has it not changed at all? Are you still hoping in the very same things that you were hoping in before you believed in Jesus as the Messiah? How does your life look compared to the lives of the people who live according to the prescriptions of this world? That we are called to just live a, a, a life of success and, and career and, and, and happiness. Is there a difference? And lastly... If you have read and if you have heard all that is written about Jesus and who he is, and you are still not, under, not sure if you believe, what more is required for you to believe? What, more, what questions do you have? Is it a matter of just fulfilling your own curiosity? Or is it really just the hardness of your heart to not be able to believe that you are in need of an outside savior to really show you what, it, what life is. That we are unable to, to, in humility, ask that Jesus come and save me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, just this great opportunity to be able to hear the gospel, the good news that the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, that Jesus, the Son of God, that he has entered into this world to provide us with eternal life. That as we believe in, in him and him alone, that we respond by repenting, that we respond by letting go of the hopes and the dreams and the things that this world has to offer for the purpose of living our lives according to you and according to your kingdom and according to your glory. So help us to really reflect and respond to that reality, the reality that you are the Son of God, the Messiah. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.